that as far as the new desires go and the outflow from the new desires, what comes from that um, obedience and really a new way of life. And so talk about out the outflow of the new desires and the new affections that come from being born again. And then there what flows from that and this newness of life, this new walk of life. And I want to finish up with just to talk about assurance of, of salvation that comes directly from seeing the evidence of that, those new affections and that new way of life. Uh, and then also the security that we receive, the eternal security of our salvation in the new birth. So with that, let me see here. Um, let's, let's look at uh, Ephesians 2. And I want us to see our affections, our desires. And I mentioned it this morning. I want us to see the desires that were driven by prior to being born again. What a natural person, how they are driven, what they're after. Um, You think about Israel in the Old Testament, uh, especially after the Exodus. How are they driven? It was always, we need this, or we had that, now we don't, and we want it back. And even when they got into the promised land and they crossed Jordan, they still were driven by things other than God's goodness or what they have received. It was, God specifically says, okay, we're going over here. Here's what I don't want you to be. I don't want you to be like these people. And when they get there, their desire is to be like these pagan people in all of these lands that are in the promised land. And so they're always after things that aren't from God. There's no, there's no, there's no godly desires. Now, yes, there are, there are a few ebbs and flows where we'll get a king who will rediscover the word of God and reformation or revival will take place. But we see in most of the Old Testament, God condemning Israel for their disobedience because they desire things that aren't what God wants them to desire. So with that said, look at how this plays out with just the individual desires that someone has as someone who is outside of Christ um, that does not have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. Ephesians 2.1. Of course, we've, we, you know, it's typified by being dead. We've We've hammered that home for the last two Sundays. You are dead in your trespasses and sin. Notice, so see that this is, and you were. So this is speaking to the church. He's reminding them. He's telling them what they were. So new desires prior to conversion, prior to the new birth. You were dead in your trespasses and sin in which, which you once walked. So what were they? You were following the course of the world. You were following the prince of the power of the air, Satan. 
the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, we all once lived before Christ, before the spirit, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Now, what's the problem with being, with being carried by the desires of our body and mind? Well, we've seen over the last two weeks that our mind and our body have been tainted. It's been, it's, it's been messed up by sin. So then they're to be, to be following that which is coming from within us would lead us astray. You know, and you've got... We want we, we, we want, like our girls to watch wholesome stuff. And so Disney is wholesome. You know, the old princess movies. But they're so bad. It's like, you know, the whole idea with, the, with Disney theology is follow your heart. Go where your heart leads you. And that's, you know, it's, it's fairy tale. It's, it's innocent. But it is the wrong idea that we want to teach our children, or even adults, that outside of a new nature, to follow your heart is going to lead you to live a selfish, ungodly life. Uh, even if, even if you, um, even if you're doing it with good intentions, if you're following your heart, if you're following what is inside of you, you're following something that is messed up by sin and that's never going to result in a good outcome it's definitely going to for eternity take you to the wrong destination so they were carrying out the desires oh this is all people prior to conversion carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature so again that, that idea is it, this was in innate, and this was innate in, inside of them. This was who they were. It was their nature. I heard, I heard, um, I think it was Paul Washer, and he was quoting Spurgeon talk about this very idea of our sinful nature, like uh, if and how we would go, like what we would choose, what we would be after, what our desires are. So if we had this, if you go to a fine dining restaurant. And you order something that sounds really good, and they bring it out, and it's like this little. Bee. They don't give you any food at fine dining restaurants, right? And it's just, it's just, uh, it's pretty. It tastes good, but there's not enough to, to. But then, okay, so imagine you have this this fine dining uh, entree sitting on this side of me, and then I had this bucket of slop on this side of me, and we decide to let in a pig in the back door. Well, by nature, which one is the pig going to choose, boys? The fine dining little piece of whatever or the huge bucket of slop? They're going to pick, that's right, the bucket. The huge bucket of slop. That's, that's just what's in them. They're always going to choose the nasty slop. And that's, that's really what this nature that Paul is talking about is going to do. This nature without the direction and guidance of God through His Spirit, is going to follow the world, is going to follow Satan, is going to follow the passions and desires of their flesh. 
That is the three evils that we fight against. The world, Satan, and our flesh. Right? Always, the nature within us, apart from God, will will go for the slop. Always. So what do you do? You change the nature of the pig. So if you change the nature of the pig, then... And this is where the illustration starts to break down. But you... (laughs) The pig comes in and goes for the... If he goes for the slop and he's changed his nature and he goes to eat it, it would make him sick. Right? So, that is what we have when when our desires are changed in the new birth. When we then take in what we were feeding on or what we were doing, it should make us sick. It should repel us. We should no longer want to follow the world, Satan, and our flesh. So the new nature brings about new desires, which brings a repellent against the old ways and a desire for new ways, right? And this is what God was promising to Israel in Ezekiel 36. I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to Put my spirit within you so that you will obey. So that you will follow my commands. So that that switch, he's changing that nature. And this is happening in the new birth. Um, And then Deuteronomy 30. So Deuteronomy 30, what we looked at last week where Moses is prophesying to Israel about this coming, this this thing happening. He called it the circumcision of the heart. Or as Ezekiel said, he would put his spirit in or give them a new heart. Uh, when, when Moses said, I'm going to, or God's going to circumcise your heart, he says, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. So you see that, again, this change of nature is for the sake of affections and desires. And with in that Deuteronomy passage, it is strictly, it is direct love for God. And what do we know? And this is why Moses said it this way, that all the commandments can be summed up Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the first, Jesus says that's the first and greatest commandment. That cannot be done in your, na- in your human nature. It cannot be done. But a, a circumcised heart, uh, to be born again, you've now, given, you've now been given a heart to love the Lord. So uh, with that, with a new heart, with this new love, with new desires, and as we spoke about this morning, with new understanding, with, you bottle that up, and what you get is repentance. Basically. Someone can't repent, repent towards God, if they don't have a heart for God. If they don't have an understanding of that slot that they had been living in, that nastiness. And so you bring all of these together and it brings about a life of repentance. A cha- and, it, and in the old, in the New Testament, it's really characterized of a change of mind. Repentance is characterized as a change of mind. 
And in the Old Testament, you see it more of a turning. And really, this is the same thing. A change of mind about your old life to what you, to a change of mind to God, a turning from sin, from idols to God. This is all only possible if you've been, your understanding has been changed, your love, your desires, all of these things have been changed by the new birth. So, where should this lead? Where should these new desires lead us? But it should lead us to a new, a new life, right? If we have new desires, if we have love of the Lord, if we have understanding, it should lead to a new life. It should also lead to seeking. So to seeking more of what we desire, mainly God, His righteousness and His kingdom. So if someone who has been born again, when Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added unto you, they no longer... If you, in your old nature, someone said, seek God first, and then all these other things will fall into place. Well, they really need all these other things because that's the direction of their desires. So, uh, I don't think so. But someone who has, the, has been given new spiritual life, who has the Spirit of God in them, helping them dis- discern the mind of God, says, okay, I understand, I trust, I have faith, Therefore, I can and will seek first the kingdom of God because I believe that all these other things will be added unto me. So seeking is, seeking more is a sign and evidence of new birth, new desires, new love, uh, but also followed up with uh, obedience to the word is that, uh, that evidence as well. Look at John 13, and then we'll move on from the new desires. John 13. We'll look at a passage in 13 and in 14 with this idea of love... And obedience. So, if we kind of step back again and think about the, the two great commandments that God or that Jesus uh, speaks is love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. So, all the commandments can be summed up in those two love, right? Well, we've established that you cannot do this with your heart of stone, you cannot do this in your old nature. Um, so, Jesus says, and what we're looking for is we're looking for evidence of the new birth. In John thirteen thirty four, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciple, if you have love for one another. So basically... It, if you're, a, if you're a true disciple of Jesus, you have been born again. And you now have the capability of loving the way you have been loved by Jesus. Um, so that is the love your neighbor aspect. Love the Lord, uh, that, is, that is evident in your obedience. If you love the Lord, 
Jesus says, you will obey. Look at John 14, verse 21. And we have a real, it, there's, it's always been a problem. You see it in Romans 6, and we'll talk about it in a minute. There's always been this problem of, okay, yes, I love the Lord, but I'm going to live my life how I want to. Well, Jesus refutes that blatantly in this chapter, in this verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. So basically, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You know how many times I've heard Sylvia say that to our children? <laughs> and, and, and that's the real, that's an idea. I mean, that, that is the idea. That is the premise is that we want our kids to obey, not because we have our thumb on them or because we want them to be something. We want them to obey out of their love for us. Now, that says a lot about how we parent. You know, we can go through confessional and all that. But uh, if, you, if you love me, the evidence of your love is trust and obey. Like, if, if I tell my child, that's, you shouldn't do that. I have a purpose for that. So that child, in order to obey, in order to, not in order to obey, but if they trust my word, that they shouldn't do that. And then they follow up with that in obedience. They are acting in faith towards me. Just as we as children of God, God says, don't do that. There is a reason, a purpose and so for us, in order to obey and love, we must first trust, have faith that what he says is right and true, and then follow up in obedience. And this unfolds in our love. This shows our love for the Lord, that we obey his commandments. All right. So now, and I'm really, get, I'm really already getting into this idea of a new, a new life. Those who have been born again live a new life. It's inevitable. You cannot read scripture and, and get away with saying, I've been born again, but my life doesn't really reflect it. It's not possible. Right? Uh, turn with me to Romans 5. And, here, and the, other, uh, the other thing I want us to understand as we think about a new way of life through being born again is I've, I've, I've really hammered the last two weeks that 0% of our effort goes into our new birth. But from that point, it's time to put our boots on and work. Not to keep our salvation, not that we might stay born again, but because we have been born again, because we have received the grace of God, it's time to pull up our boots, put on our gloves, and work for the one who has saved us. And this, we, we have, we're not passive Christians that says, well, God can handle it, or God will do it, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But no, God has, he's situated, he's organized, 
that when he saves and calls someone, he prepares them for good works. He prepares them to be a part of his kingdom and its flourishing. Um, I think of a couple, a couple passages off the top of my head. You can go home and look them up in Philippians 2. It says, uh, for it is God, or no, it says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So work out your salvation that you did not work for, that you could not earn, but now work it out in fear and trembling. Trembling, And then he goes on to say, but remember, it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So even as we pull up our boots to go to work for God, we cannot think that now we are going to work for God without his enabling, without the Holy Spirit without his power. Even Paul says in Colossians, I believe, that he's working constantly. He is suffering. He is pouring out himself with the power and might of God. Not with what is in him, not with what is in, in him, but what God has put in him. Uh, and then another one comes to my mind, Second Peter, uh, the, of course, the, towards the end of chapter one, where he says, now be all the more diligent to uh, confirm your calling and your election, something of that nature, that God has saved you, called you, chose you, and done something to you, changed you. Now, go and show people that that's what's happened to you, right? So don't, you're not sitting idle. Uh, you are now working. You're now in the Lord's army. Um, okay, now Romans 5. Basically, the end of Romans 5 sets up this idea of God's grace abounding over our sin, which we've, we've hit on, but then the newness of life comes into six. So I just want, starting in 20, um, well, we'll just do 18, 518, and we'll go a few verses into six. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness led to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's or disobedience, so we're dis that's Adam, for one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So basically, outside of Christ, sin and death are reigning in you. And if you read through the rest of chapter 6, it is your master. You are a slave to sin and death. But Paul says, grace comes... Through Jesus, grace reigns over that, reigns through righteousness, not your righteousness, but Jesus' righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So God, through Jesus, has overcome, has abounded, has in increased more and over than sin has affected you in your nature. God wins for those who are in Christ. Sin loses, death loses. So as I said, so then 
the age-old problem from Paul's time till now is, okay, well, if God is always going to win, if, if grace is going to abound when sin is there, so if we go on sinning more, won't grace abound more and just keep being good? And if we, if we sin more, God wins more, right? But really the way that we look at it today in our culture is, because, I've, because God's grace is so good, I can sin all I want. Because I, because I say I'm a Christian and God's grace is so good, it doesn't matter what I do. That's not evidence of a new birth. That's not evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit within somebody. So what is Paul? Paul asked the question. He asked the rhetorical question. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? In verse 2, by no means. So here is here's the, the connection to the new birth. How can we who died to sin still live in it? So here, here's, here's how to see it. When you are born again, you die to sin. When you're born again, you die to sin. See that? Do you know, verse 3, do you know how that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Born again in Christ, dead to sin, in order that you might walk in a new way of life. So, the evidence of a new birth is walking this new life. And it's opposite of living in sin. Uh, If you read the rest of 6 this week, you will see that those who have been born again have died to all of sin. They're no longer bound by it, enslaved to it, in dominion in it. Christ and His righteousness reigns and rules in a born-again Christian. Meaning, the pig comes in, no longer wants the slop. The pig comes in, it sees the beauty and the delicacy of the fine dining meal and enjoys. And if he goes back over here, he gets sick. This is, this is who we are when God changes our nature. No longer enslaved to eating the slop. No longer enslaved to living in sin. But we've been equipped, we've been enabled to live our life. Um... Go ahead, read it for us. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But thanks be to God. Mm. So, and just I, I, quickly, what does it look like? 
what does this newness of life look like? And I'll, I'll point you to Colossians 3 and Ephesians 4. So, you know, this week, look at Colossians 3 and Ephesians 4. I want to read a few things from them just so you can get this idea. And if we start in Ephesians 4, which we read, you'll see this change. You can see this change of nature. Ephesians 4 and verse 17. That's what we read when we started this morning. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding. They are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensualities, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Right? This is, this is the old nature that you have been brought out of. And he says, but this is not the way you learn Christ. In verse 20, 21, assuming that you heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self. So there, there's that language of God has done something in you to change you, but there's still work to be done. The battle is just now beginning for you. Put off your old self. Notice it's an old self that's been done away with. But at the same time, Paul says, but then you still have to, put, you still have to work at putting it away. Right? Uh, now, look how he says something similar in, in Colossians 3 and gives us a little bit more detail. Colossians 3, starting in verse 5. So as Paul said it to the Ephesians in verse 4, put off the old self. He says to the Colossians, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Look what he says in 7. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk with your mouth. Verse 9. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. And you have put on the new self. And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek, Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is in all and or is all in all. But look how he says, so if you put off these things, what must you do? You must, in verse 12, put on. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. All of that which you now can do and are enabled to do. You could not do this when you were like the the Gentile pagans, darkened in your mind and understanding with a callous heart, as he told the Ephesians. So, one who has been born again, who has been raised with Christ, as how he starts 
this chapter, if you have been raised with Christ, you must put to death all of this earthly stuff, all of this old self stuff, and you must put on then all of this new stuff. So, and it just get, that gets us to assurance. How do I know? Like, how do I know that I've been born again? Well, I'll tell you to do your own study in 1 John. If you go through 1 John and you look for the word born, every time you see the word born, you will see fruit of the new birth. I've got four. I think there's probably six or seven where it, said, where it, where it talks about being born of God or uh, born again. And within it, it tells you um, if you're born of God, you love righteousness. You do not make a practice of sinning. You love others. And so how do I know? How am I assured of my salvation? How am I assured that the Spirit of God dwells in me? First John is written for that purpose. To remind the believers of whoever he's writing to who are being confused by people outside of the truth and say, hey, no, no, no. If, if you want to know if you are a believer, if you are of the body of Christ, this is what someone born again acts like. Do you match up with that? All right, that is how we, that's how we come to know. That's how we are assured that the Spirit lives in us. All right, but then there's one more in 1 John that I want to bring up. So go to 1 John to the very last few verses. The very last few verses of 1 John. And and I'll be done with this. Starting in verse 18, this is one of those this is one of those spots where you can find the word born to see evidence of someone who has been born of the Spirit of God. 1 John 5 18. Is a, these last four verses here are absolutely beautiful. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. Now, if you read all of 1 John, especially the first chapter, you realize that that does not mean you never sin. It means your habitual practicing living in your sin. Um, but always confessing and repenting when you do sin. But those who are born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God, here is not just assurance, but security. Knowing that when God saves someone, He saves them to the end. When God pours out His Spirit in someone, they are a child of God forever. But he who was born of God protects him. And the evil one does not touch him. And we know that we are from God. And the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. But the evil one will not touch those who are born of God. And this goes hand in hand when Jesus says to the, to the, the Pharisees who, who, can, who, who do not believe. And he says, my sheep hear my voice. They know me. I know them. 
they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never be snatched out of my hand. That's the security of the believer. And it's not based in how much we worked today as a believer. It's not based in how well we talked or how much we evangelized. It's based on, one, the righteous life of Christ, the sacrificial death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, and the pouring out of the Spirit of God into the children of God. That's what our salvation is secure in. Not in our performance day to day. Not in how well we know Scripture or how well we can communicate it to people. It's in what God has done for us and to us. Right? And he says in verse 20, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true. In His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Just meditate on those few verses for a while. And you just, just the joy and the richness that is there to bring about, to well up within you uh, an awe and the affections for God and what He has done for you in Christ Jesus. That's the security of those who have been born again. All right. So that concludes our study of the new birth. And next week, we'll move back into the Beatitudes that will really roll off of what we've kind of what we've gone over in the new birth. Um, and, I, you know, it is absolutely fundamental to understand the new birth, when you look at the Sermon on the Mount. Because the Sermon on the Mount can be something that you just pick apart and say, I got to do this. I got to be this. I got to live this way. But that's not the point. The point is, is I can't do this. I can't live this way. I need the Spirit of God. I need the grace of God. And so the Sermon on the Mount, is its context is, especially these Beatitudes, It is a blessing towards those whom God is shaping to be like this, right? Not a blessing towards those whom are trying to be like this. It's a blessing towards those whom God is shaping and molding to be like this. So it's really, really important that we understand uh, the work of God in the new birth for the context of the Sermon on the Mount. So with that, I just want to open it up. If you'll have any questions over anything that we've gone over over the last two and a half or two weeks or so, uh, let her rip. And if not, we'll, we'll pray and dismiss.